Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. This is Manufacturing Talk Radio, and I am Tim Grady, your host. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Wise. We are. Uh, we actually have put together a very interesting show for today. We have four guests on the show, kind of back-to-back, all talking about economics, both locally and globally. We're going to start out with uh, Roy Slow, who is our EU and UK correspondent, talk about what's happening with Brexit and uh, the breakup in the UK and what's happening with uh, the EU and their economies. Then we'll go over to Chung Wang, who is over in China. He is our uh, Asia-Pacific correspondent. Then we'll be speaking with Norbert Orr, who follows the, well, more than 18 purchasing manager index surveys that are uh, uh, put out all around the world. And the last in the show will be Chad Moutre, who's chief economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. Before we get to all of that, let me get to Lou Ice. Lou, how are you today? Boy, I'm glad I'm going to be first. Uh, otherwise, there may not be room for me. Uh, no, I'm, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing swell. I'm doing swell. So we have a busy show. So let's get right to it. Uh, our, our postscript for our last week's show uh, also was a rather robust show. Uh, we had uh, Anthony Nieves, who's the chair of the Institute of Supply Management, non-manufacturing business. Supply business survey uh, report. Um, uh, Very interesting um, information. Uh, Basically a 30,000 foot view of what's going on in non-manufacturing, which is kind of a misnomer because all the stuff that is in non-manufacturing has to be made in manufacturing so of some sort. So tune into uh, that segment. Uh, we also had uh, Hernan Luis Iprado, the founder and president of Workshop for Warriors, who we did have on uh, some time ago. Uh, Hernan has uh, created a workshop for warriors, as the name indicates, and teaching uh, returning vets uh, new skills. It's out in San, uh, San uh, Diego, and uh, it is a nonprofit. And uh, he and his family have uh, dedicated uh, their lives and money to uh, do this project. They've been doing it for six years. Things will lighten up, though, for them in about two years when they finally will be approved for uh, GI Bill uh, payments from students. That's right, folks, eight years to get an approval to help a vet. Something is wrong with that picture. That said, I'm not going to say anything more. You draw your own (laughs) conclusions. It sounds like one of those federal follies, which we're going to to talk about one of those in a few moments. We also had uh, Ken Monahan, Director of International Trade Policy at NAM, National Institute of Manufacturers, about the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership that's creating such an uproar and perhaps not because everybody understands what it's all about. Um, the politicians think they know what it's about, but I think they just 
are being arbitrary and contrary. Um, so we did talk about uh, the good and the bad, uh, and maybe the bad has been a bit overblown by uh, press and our former former presidential candidates, which one of them is now president. Um, so that said, uh, tune in to MFGTalkRadio.com for last week's show. Um, it's quite inspiring of sorts. Um, as far as our news items are concerned, uh, one interesting point is that a German manufacturer by the name of Norican Industries just uh, is in the process of opening a plant in North America, in North Carolina. Uh, it will be expected to be open by uh, the by mid 2018 is when production will start. They will be doing hiring before then. They are for those who might be looking for a job or a change. Uh, they they'll be located in uh, Mills River in in Henderson County as part of the North Carolina Partnership for Economic Development. So you folks may want to look into that if you're in that situation. Uh, actually, that's now the third uh, foreign plant that has opened in uh, North Carolina this year, or planned to open this year. Now, here's an interesting story. Uh, we were doing a series for a while called Federal Follies. Um, of things that have happened in the past. And some of them got pretty old, so we, we didn't uh, continue with that. So we figured we'd wait until we get new federal follies. So here it is, folks. Here's the first one. And I'll give you the, um, the headline of this article stating, at 800,000 a pop, and that is a pop because things blow up when it, they use this, at 800000 a pop, the new Navy destroyer ammo is in question. Why is the ammo in question? Because it costs $800,000 a round. It's a little cheaper than the uh, cruise missile, which proved to be very effective. The only difference, of course, is that the 800,000-pound 155-millimeter advanced gun system uh, can only travel 75 miles. The cruise missile can travel 1,000 miles. So on a per-mile basis, the cruise missile is a bargain, and it takes out more of the enemy. So uh, U.S. government, you've now started my new round of federal follies, $800,000 a round. In China, when they convict somebody of a crime, their bullet only costs 32 cents, of which the family has to pay for. Um, I don't think that we can get uh, our enemies to pay $800,000 around to blow themselves up. So that's, uh, by the way, the ship is called the USS Zumwalt, V-U-M-W-A-L-T. Uh, you might want to look it up and really beat yourself on the head as to why we're allowing this type of expenditure to continue. But then again, we don't have a problem because we just print more money. We don't have debt. We have a print, printing press. That said, 
Tim, back to you. And now, Lou, let's get into our show. Go for it. Joining us is Rice Lowe. He's our senior international correspondent covering the U.K. and the E.U. And, Rice, the obvious question before we get into uh, manufacturing and the economy in those two markets is what's the reaction in those two markets to the election of Trump? Well, um, I, I figured that uh, I'd, I'd best uh, check this one out, and I, I certainly did. And uh, the uh, the reaction that the different countries have slightly different reactions, but uh, in in France, um, the, the word was uh, stupefaction, stupefied. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're worried about the uh, the Paris Climate Agreement, and they're worried about the Iranian nuclear agreement. Uh, but by the same token, uh, then they come and be, become conciliatory and say, uh, but France and the U.S. have always been partners in world peace, and uh, you know we gave you the Statue of Liberty, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and we hope that we will be able to work together. Uh, similarly, um, in Germany, the uh, the defense minister uh, had a, a great shock, as he calls it. Um, and uh, Angela Merkel uh, reminded Trump of his responsibility uh, at the uh, at the global level. In other words, to keep things. Um, uh, cool and uh, nice and uh, quiet for everybody, uh, don't uh, rock too many boats, because Angela doesn't really like to rock boats. Uh, Italy congratulated him uh, on a, um, and they said there's a solid uh, Italian-American friendship that, uh, that has to be taken care of. Uh, on the other hand, and I don't think we can rule this guy out, even though he's not from Europe, uh, particularly uh, Ban Ki-moon, the uh, Secretary General of the um, United Nations, um, says he's counting on Trump's support to uphold uh, common values and uh, to combat climate change and promote human rights, etc. Now, the, 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 there's, a, there's a new guy coming into this post um, early next year called Antonio Guterres. He's, he's Portuguese. And he's been around an awfully long time, and uh, from what I read about the guy, he's very solid and probably won't cringe, as, as, as the saying goes. Um, the, uh, the UK, of course, they, uh, they speak about the uh, special relationship uh, with the United States and uh, freedom, democracy, and enterprise, trade, security, and defense, etc., must all be... Uh, handled uh, in a in a good uh, diplomatic manner. Uh, Theresa May's got her own problems, of course, but uh, and the EU generally, um, the, the 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 ties are deeper, uh, or should be, than any uh, any change in politics. Uh, one one, one, one oh. chap who uh, looks forward to meeting Trump because he says he's had a quite a bit of trouble with uh, with Obama. I don't know exactly what kind of trouble it is, whether they're, uh, they're both too stubborn to get along together, is, is Netanyahu from Israel, even though this is not really Europe, but it's uh, it's not that, that far away from Europe. And, right. uh, so so the, 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 general, the general reaction was one of, one of shock, uh, but hope 
but hopeful that uh, they will be able to get along somehow. Yeah. No, well, we'll be interested to see how that unravels or un- unfolds. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Or blows up. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I guess it's it's one of those things. I guess it's a bit like Brexit in that uh, when the dust clears away, uh, what's going to happen? But the the problem is, of course, we won't know anything until January, will we? We won't know what. Yeah, I mean, he can threaten to do things that uh, that he may not even do in January. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, last- Last night, uh, Trump spoke on television, um, on uh, our television show, 60 Minutes. And right. uh, there was, there was, and that's what they're now talking about uh, today in the, in the news uh, segments uh, of his seemingly calmer, um, certainly more respectful and more sane, uh, my word. Uh, more mm-hmm. sane than he has acted in the last uh, year. Uh, right. And one of his uh, uh, advocates stated that the, the, bun- the bunch of wild, chaotic, crazy statements that he made during the uh, campaign was all part of his act. Mm-hmm. And that he now he's not talking about a wall, he's talking about, well, some sections will be a fence. Uh, so this, this is typical politician in this country. Yeah, yeah. S- say what I you read last week that the, that the wall was going to cost a billion, uh, a billion dollars, and, and most of the people that will profit from it will be Mexican companies. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> that's how they're going to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what's happening with manufacturing in Europe, right? Is uh, is it beginning to get some strength? Are they seeing a recovery over there, or is it like it yes. has been some yes. up, some down? Uh, absolutely. The uh, the results from October were uh, the 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 PMI for uh, for October was a was a 33 month high, and um, uh, the Netherlands and Germany were up there in the 55s, and uh, Austria and Spain up in the 53, 54. Even France uh, finally got out of the doldrums uh, with a 51.8 reading and uh, a 31-month high. Well, so uh, the, the PMI for Europe was 53 <laughs> 53.5 versus 52.6, which again is a uh, it's a, that's a 33-month high. So um, whatever uh, effect the uh, election result in the U.S. may have on manufacturing in Europe, if it, if it does have an effect, the way Brexit did for the first month, uh, we'll obviously have to wait and see. But uh, it's looking uh, it's looking much healthier than uh, uh, than it was, for sure. And how is it looking the UK? The UK is. Um, the UK came down a little from 50, it was up at 55 and a half in September, it came down to 54.3, but it's still, uh, it, it's still looking, it's still looking strongish, but, um, there again, it's, it's, it's another wait and see thing, uh, in the long term, is the, is, is, is this going to be good, because there are so many, so many things going on with Brexit that, um, that could affect it. Uh, Royce, let me ask you, did you say it, those numbers were in the 60s? Sorry? The, did you say that the PMI number is in the 60s or 50s? No, no, no. No, 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 I didn't. No, no. 
No, it's not in the 60s. Uh, ah, okay, that's what I thought it, I heard. It, it, no, it's, it's probably my, my accent or the line. Which, which shall I blame? <laughs> <laughs> so now that uh, uh, Brexit has been voted on, I understand that the parliament, or I'm sorry, the judge has decided that it cannot go forward right. without the parliament approving it. So does that now throw right. this into limbo ad infinitum? Yeah, this is the uh, this is the situation right at the moment. Is that they they did they did dictate that um, that there, that there must that the thing must go through parliament before she can actually trigger it. Uh, they are appealing this. Uh, the the government's appealing this. In other words, the government's appealing a decision that's been made for Parliament, <laughs> and uh, this will be heard in December, so we won't have a result on that until uh, until next month. But uh, it, it's just it's just another uh, you know another brick in the wall, for, for want of a better expression, and um, it's 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 just what's what's going to happen. We'll have to wait and see. That the, there are so many factors affecting this thing. Uh, it's it's just getting out of hand, and uh, it uh, you know uh, as I think I might have said or written or something, but the the the, the two years uh, it looks like we can forget that. It, it, it sounds like it. Uh, it's, ca you it's, know it's chaotic. It's chaotic. You 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 read uh, you read you read things like uh, the okay the pound. Uh, the pound strengthened the day after the Trump victory because it wasn't the pound strengthening, it was the dollar weakening, I believe, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, but they said tourism's up 7%. Well, of course it is because the pound tumbled 15%. Uh, the interest rates are down. We've, that's been there since August. And uh, now they're talking, that you read uh, statistics about, for example, the, the really nasty side of this whole thing, which is the... They're talking about hate crime, uh, racist and religious abuse incidents, which are up 41% uh, in the month after Brexit, uh, that sort of stuff. And uh, migration, uh, net migration into the country, uh, 327,000. I don't see why they should complain, because Canada takes, Canada's going to take 300,000, and they've got you know, a little more than half the population of the UK. Uh, trade, their, um, the, the, the cost of materials and fuels rose 7.6% 7. 7. I got here. And uh, construction is, um, is up a bit but still contracting. Jobs are okay for the moment. And uh, uh, Nissan, is, Nissan is staying in the, in the UK. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> It's it's up and down, uh, sideways, and uh, we'll we'll just need to we'll just need to wait and see what's happened. This is an ongoing one, if ever I've seen one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to make life interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Our lives are going to be very interesting here for the next uh, four years. Right. Oh, I, I'm I'm sure they I'm sure they will. Yeah. I, I, I read a little article. Um, Last week, in a in in, in a French magazine, uh, there was somebody asked what would happen if um, if we had a Frexit, and uh, uh -oh. you know the uh, the, the first thing, if if the the uh, the Front National, that's Marine Le Pen, uh, that you know they would uh, they would call for a re 
for a ref referendum if they are elected, uh, shall we leave Europe? Because the Front National is very anti-anti-EU. Uh, She's a big buddy of uh, uh, of uh, Farage, this idiot from the UK who campaigned for Brexit, and uh, is also a big buddy. Of, she, she's very much respectful of uh, of Trump and of Putin. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> it, you know, if 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 she were elected, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Royce, you lost, uh, you lost Brexit, uh, you lost Trump, you cannot possibly lose this one. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot possibly see Marine Le Pen elected in France. <laughs> but uh, um, anyway, I uh, I just have to let to it all go. Up. Yeah, right. Just kind of wrap up, Royce. And uh, in terms of Brexit, is it possible that the Parliament will vote against triggering the clause, so the people will have voted to exit, and the Parliament will vote to stay? Um, it's it's. I, I think anything's possible at this stage, Tim. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's likely. I think that somehow um, they're on the road to to Brexit. And uh, even though um, Theresa May was uh, was a Remainer uh, at the time, uh, she has said uh, Brexit is Brexit. And uh, uh, I fear that if uh, if if there is any. Um, tendency on the part of Parliament to say we're going to, you know, we, we don't want Brexit, I think there'll be a real fight. Uh, th that's the way it goes in uh, in, in Britain, uh, in Parliament. Uh, right. So it's it's another wait and see, Tim, quite frankly. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, I, well, I would love to see that quite... <laughs> I would love to see it. <laughs> Let's have a fight! <laughs> it's going to be uh, interesting for manufacturing because manufacturing does not like uncertainty. No, and absolutely. Right now it's faced with uncertainty in the U.S., in the U.K., in the EU, yeah. Uh, yeah. even to a degree in China. So this is going to be a messy 2017. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting to say the least. To say Clearly. the least. Well, we... We appreciate you being with us and updating us on what's happening in the, the EU and the UK, and we look forward to chatting with you again next month, Royce. Thanks for being on the a, show. It's been a pleasure. Have Thank a good you, day. Royce. Thank yes, you very much. You too. Take care. Now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're speaking with Chung Wang, who is our senior international correspondent for Asia. He uh, is in China, so he speaks to the entire uh, Pacific Rim area. Chung, thank you for being on the show again today. Good morning, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you back. Uh, first off, because you may not uh, be right on top of it, but I'd just be curious what the China papers are saying about the election of Trump as president. Are they uh, terrified, or what's the reaction? <laughs> this question. Uh, yes, the, the, the reaction is actually very mixed um, because uh, Trump has very little political um, experience or baggage in this case that uh, really nobody knows what he's actually going to do. But during his campaign, uh, there's a lot of rhetoric about uh, mostly denouncing China, Chinese government, and, and, and such. 
So the general view is that um, that people really don't know what he's going to do, but uh, most people believe that as a very wealthy man, a successful man, he should make the right choices for uh, uh, he should be able to make the right choices for his country, and the two countries may be able to have uh, dialogue, mostly in the uh, business in the business sectors as a businessman. Uh, but politically, okay, there may oh, okay, okay, good. Um, so how has China looked over the last month economically? You know, there's always uh, interest in the news, what's happening in China, because it seems to have such a volatile reaction in the United States on stock markets, on planning. So how is China and GDP moving currently in uh, that part of the world? The, the the GDP changes here are not as affected by the U.S. elections uh, as it is over there. Um, but um, the overall environment, uh, especially on the manufacturing side, seems to be on the rise. Uh, for example, as we usually share the PMI index information, uh, the PMI index for the past month of October uh, was at 51.2. This is uh, the first time that it has has had a um, a clear rise from the previous uh, time. And that's 51.2 off of uh, 50.4. I see that production, new orders. You've got uh, you've got some categories that are significantly up. Yes, especially the new orders category. Uh, because all the the industries are seeing new more new orders at this in this in the past month, although there has been a shift in the makeup of the of the uh, growth uh, it is that is that in the past most of the growth was driven by large businesses, but in this month we can see that there is actually a drop in the expansion of large business PMI and uh, a, a pretty high rise in the PMI of medium and small businesses, which which were 1.7% and 2.2% respectively. Uh, on the other hand, inventory reduction has been slowing. The inventory's PMI was at 48.1, uh, which is up 0.7 from last month. Uh, although reducing inventory has been a, a trend in the country for several, many months, but uh, this month we are seeing a clear reduction in the speed that inventory is being reduced. Uh, Chung, what is uh, happening um, yeah. you know, as we looked at China imports and exports? Uh, China was uh, or had their economy built on an export-based economy, and now they're shifting to a consumer-based economy, as I understand it. Uh, what's happening yes. is they make that adjustment. Yes, that is the general idea. Uh, uh, however, the uh, overall, the export is still a main main portion of the economic activities over here. And in October, uh, China's import and export totaled uh, 300 million uh, U.S. dollars, uh, which was down by 4.9% uh, 
when denominated by USD uh, from last month, but only down 0.6% if denominated by RMB. This is because the RMB has been weakening against the dollar uh, by 1.7% over the past month. The total exports in the last month was uh, 178 million, imports is 129 million US dollars, trade surplus of 49 million dollars. On the consumer side, uh, let me just give you one example because just a few days ago we had the double eleven consumer consumer holiday, which is similar to the um, Black Friday, or actually more similar to the Cyber Monday over there in the U.S., where uh, a lot of consumers go online to purchase uh, products online, mostly on the Alibaba, the two Alibaba websites that uh, makes up the, the, the great proportion of this sales. And on that day, uh, November 11th, uh, the Alibaba company uh, showed that consumer purchases were $17.8 billion worth on that single day. It was a 32% rise from last year's November 11th uh, consumer holiday. And also, 32%, this year, the, that's a staggering rise. Oh, yes, it is. It is. But compared to previous years, uh, between 2014 and 2015, the rise was 63%. And between 15, uh, between 13 and 14 was 63%, and 2014 and 15 was 59%. So 32% is relatively low compared to the previous years. Even the CEO of Alibaba on his speech after the holiday ended told his employees that this, this is a clear show of the market slowdown because our rise uh, in sales is only 32% from last year. You see, the, pro the problem is that they got used to having 14% GDP, and now that it's 7% GDP, they're beginning to think that they're falling off the flat earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so everything is uh, depends on perspective, I, I guess. I don't think that our country has ever, ever seen 7% growth, ever. Really? I mean, In all you know, history? I, I, I would put money on it. Lewis, Lewis okay. correct. I think the biggest number we ever saw was a 4.1. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's never been high. I mean, this year we'll be happy if we come in at 2.0. We'll be giddy, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's... Uh, I, I do have, that's I do have a question uh -huh. uh, for you, uh, yes, sir. Chung. Um, uh -huh. The steel pricing that's going on that we are hearing about in China, What what's behind yes. the steel increases uh, that we're hearing about? Yeah, this is mainly due to uh, several factors goes into the, the hike of steel pricing. Although the central government, since the beginning of this year of China, which you know, have major influence over the markets, uh, have always said that they will, they will decrease inventory, decrease steel production. And what we believe is this should lead to a decrease of steel prices, at least in the short term. 
However, what we see is actually an increase. Uh, several factors go into this is that uh, one is the steel raw material, and iron ore prices uh, are on the rise, although not, not a big change. I think it was about 10% since the beginning of the year. Um, the other is that the market demand, the domestic market demand have risen for two reasons. One is that a lot of infrastructure construction are going on. The Belt and Road, uh, the, the, the China government's Silk Road Belt and Maritime Silk Road projects are starting. They are starting to invest in port cities and uh, invest in infrastructure like high-speed railways uh, and infrastructure at, on port cities around, along the Maritime Silk Road countries. Uh, for example, just last month, they had started a, a project in Pakistan uh, for, for how many millions of dollars? I don't have that on the tip of my hand, but it's, it's pretty big projects going on everywhere. Uh, and Chinese construction companies are buying up uh, construction-related steel products. So that's one reason. The other reason is that uh, coal prices are on the rise because coal production has been reduced. And a lot of the mills here use coal as their main source of power. Use actually uh, coke, which is processed coal, to melt the uh, steel ingots. And with the another aspect of the price hike is due to speculation, because the users of steel speculate that the market will continue to rise that is why they are increasing inventory. And that is par partially the reason why we see the reduction of inventory. The speed of the inventory reduction in the entire manufacturing environment has been reduced uh, greatly since last month because more speculators are, are buying, stocking their own inventory of steel. So to, to expecting sort of, the price to rise. So mm -hmm. to uh, sort of sum it up, uh, this goes in line with the fact that manufacturing is beginning to rise in China. Would, would you agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. However, it is the, the price hike is sort of ahead of really the manufacturing rise mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. due to market speculation and uh, the, the uh, increase in uh, material related material prices. Just a quick question, Sean, uh, as we wrap up this segment. Uh, what's the nervousness mm -hmm. of countries like Singapore, Japan, Vietnam, Malaysia? During the election cycle, Trump was talking about uh, throwing out the TPP. I imagine that throws their whole organization up in the air. What have you been hearing oh, about yeah. that? Well, yes, we, we, uh, we've been hearing that there are lots of concerns going into what's going to happen uh, without the U.S. The U.S. makes up 60% of the GDP of all the TTP countries, TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership countries. U.S. GDP is 60% of the pie. So if the U.S. leaves this group, leaves this partnership, then what's left on the table is really a fraction of, uh, of what it used to be. There's, some people are even saying, what's the point of having this if the U.S. is not here? And there are also other others speculate that maybe if the U.S. is determined to leave the TPP, maybe they will try to invite uh, some other countries, for example, China, to join. But um, but this is all still in the air because it is still unclear what uh, what 
our new president will elect to do. Well, we'll see what he does. It's always interesting what's said on the campaign trail and what happens after someone's actually elected. Uh, these things, things tend to change very quickly. John, we appreciate you being on the show for the uh, Asia-Pacific update. Thanks again Thank for being you. with us. Thank you, Chung. No problem. It's my pleasure being here. Norbert Orr is joining us now. He is our senior international correspondent for Global Surveys. He follows purchasing manager index surveys all over the world, including uh, several in the United States as well. We typically hear the ISM, but there's a smattering of them across the country. Norbert, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Nice having you again. Enjoy having you on the show. Let's see, where do we start, Norbert? Uh, pick a country, pick a topic. Uh, there's so much to talk about. I'm going to let you take the first shot. Okay. Well, l let's start uh, globally and then look at the impact of that uh, on the domestic situation and uh, uh, see if we can't uh, uh, build some sense of logic into what's going on uh, in the global marketplace right now. Uh, so the best place to start, I, I think, uh, is with Asia and, and looking at what's going on in Asia, uh, the uh, uh, strength of the uh, Taiwan economy uh, is superior to anything else that's going on in Asia right now. Uh, South Korea is uh, another uh, index that I follow. and. Uh, it's been below 50 for the last three months. 50 meaning above 50, it, it's growing. Below 50, it's declining. At 50, it's the same as the month before. Uh, so South Korea, South Korea uh, is uh, below 50 and uh, contracting, uh, whereas Taiwan is, uh, I think, now uh, about eight months above 50 uh, and reading at 54.5. So obviously, Taiwan is doing much better. Uh, part of the reason for that is semiconductors are doing well, and Taiwan's economy from a manufacturing standpoint is highly tied to uh, the semiconductor industry. Uh, some other thoughts from Asia. Uh, there's two surveys that come out of Asia, uh, out of China. Uh, one is the uh, CFLP, or China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing. The other is the Kaishen. Uh, which has uh, more uh, multinationals in it. So the, uh, the, the CFLP survey is, is much, uh, very much domestic Chinese companies, uh, whereas the other one has a mixture in with that. Uh, and both of those uh, took a, a, a turn to upward this, this past month at 51.2. Uh, each of them was the same. Uh, usually they're close, but rarely the same, but uh, that's the case. And that's an improvement for both of them. So that, that's the, really the first good signs we've seen coming out of China that, that maybe they're starting to, to get back to a uh, more significant growth mode. Uh, uh, as we head toward the end of the year. Uh, so overall, Asia uh, weak, uh, but uh, but not declining that uh, that rapidly. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I think we can continue to look to, to that to be stronger. Even Australia was above 50 this month, so help that a good. No, that's good news. Yeah, uh, the uh, if we move over to Europe. And, and look at what's going on there. 
uh, Europe had a really good month um, compared to, to recent happenings and everything. Uh, the index for the Eurozone, which is eight countries, uh, was 53.5, and that's the highest that we've seen uh, in a number of months uh, coming out of, uh, coming out of uh, the, the Eurozone. Uh, so uh, uh, all the concerns about Brexit uh, seem to be uh, uh, at least not impacting the manufacturing sector, or if there is an impact, it seems to be uh, a little more positive than it has been from that. And, of course, uh, then we have to look at the U.K. to see what's happened with Brexit. Uh, they, uh, their index came in at 54.3. Uh, that's down 1.1, uh, uh, but still at a very aggressive stage. And uh, uh, it would appear, again, that from a manufacturing standpoint at least, that the U.K. is not suffering that much. There, there's still a long way to go with the uh, conversion uh, to uh, back out of the European Union. It's not happening that quickly. Uh, but in the near term, at least, the, it's positive from that standpoint. Well, that sounds very strong. Um, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Brexit. I don't know if you have any sense of it. Uh, we were just talking with Roy Slow, who is our correspondent uh, for the U.K. and the E.U., about whether or not Brexit's going to go forward and really happen, or if Parliament's going to, going to force it uh, to not happen. Do you have any sense of which way that might play out? Well, I, I take more of a supply chain view than I do a political view. Okay. Uh, Brexit or a transition for the U.K. is much easier than it is for most of these other countries because the U.K. never gave up its currency and never switch to the euro. So uh, valuing assets, valuing uh, services, what, whatever it is, valuing manufacturing uh, is, uh, is still easy to do. Now, admittedly, they're working with a weaker pound sterling. But in the near term, that's a positive because the weaker pound sterling has increased their exports, and that's why their manufacturing sector is doing well and should continue to do well uh, because of that reason. Uh, I, again, I take a supply chain point of view, which basically says uh, if trading partners are uh, 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 aligned, trading that goes on between uh, the U.K. and France isn't going to stop uh, happening because uh, the French have – a lot of farm goods and so on that are important to the British. Uh, the British have products that are important to um, to the French. And so that's not going to change. And uh, uh, the politics of all of these trade agreements and everything else, uh, businesses do business. Do, do business. Uh, you, you know, uh, the government doesn't walk in your door and say, oh, by the way, we just found uh, – uh, $15 million worth of additional business for you that uh, that we did. Wouldn't wouldn't it be easy if uh, if that were the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we know it doesn't happen that way. It's you have to go out and earn the business, and you have to be competitive, and uh, you, you have to uh, have the, the right location. You have to be able to transport it. You have to uh, 
be able to meet delivery requirements and so on, uh, there's there's much more to it. So I, I think uh, supply chains solve problems obviously much easier than politicians do. And well, I so, would agree with you, Norbert. I, I almost suspect that we're seeing a, a situation where in the previous century politics had a stranglehold on what happened in manufacturing in terms of international trade, and now the world is beginning to shift and change, and uh, manufacturing and trading partners may – have more control than politicians, but we'll see how that plays out. How are our well, training partners? You know, we, 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 we do have, Tim, uh, uh, you know, uh, a desire for fair trade. Uh, and free trade is not possible. There's too many people with their self-interest involved in it, but it does need to be fair. We, we need to look at... Uh, uh, when countries put uh, restrictions on our uh, ability to import to them, but yet want to uh, have a free trade when it comes to what they can ship to us, uh, there needs to be some strong negotiation there. Right, right. So what's happening to our neighbors to the north and south, Canada and Mexico? Uh, Canada uh, continues to uh, uh, to move forward, kind of uh, chugging along a little bit. Uh, the index came in at 51.1 for uh, Canada this past month. That was up a little bit from 50.3. Not a real strong reading, but certainly not uh, not a negative reading, and so it, it's benefiting. Uh, I, I think uh, Canada stands to benefit from things like the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, as we would benefit from it and so on. So some of the things that the new administration is talking about being more receptive to could have some, some positives for Canada. Uh, Canada also is dependent on the auto industry, as is Mexico. Uh, they are component suppliers to uh, uh, the various automobile companies. We often think in, in terms of the big three, but it's so much more than that with uh, so many of the foreign brands having uh, assembly facilities uh, in the U.S. Uh, I do think we've got to make a distinction uh, that these people are providing components. They're, in most cases, not providing the full car. In some instances, they are. But, but the, big, uh, the big movement is of components that can be manufactured uh, uh, both domestically and in, uh, in, in uh, North America. Uh, so you, you, uh, the, the state of the automobile industry right now is built around its ability to assemble automobiles uh, in the U.S. And uh, with a strong dollar, uh, uh, it, there's an advantage in doing that. I'm concerned about what's going to happen next in the automobile industry. Um, I feel like the autos have had a great run. Uh, starting in 2008, as the economy recovered, it was really driven by autos and uh, has continued that way. It's been very strong, uh, primarily because uh, uh, the, of two reasons. One of them is I, I firmly believe the auto, uh, the, the motor companies uh, are offering vehicles that are quite desirable. People want the features that they've got, the cameras and uh, uh, safety uh, uh, devices and so on, plus the look and the feel and, and everything 
that they've got that. So I think the the motor companies have benefited, uh, you know, on on that end. And, and then the credit issue. Uh, people had uh, have had uh, auto credit when they haven't had uh, 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 credit for other purposes and so on. Uh, the other thing that I think can happen as we go forward. Uh, if uh, some changes are made in some of the regulatory issues, uh, Dodd-Frank, et cetera, uh, that could open up and make financing easier because uh, apparently the regional banks have not been able to be as aggressive as some of the other banks in, uh, uh, in funding growth within the auto industry. And uh, so uh, that would be a positive for us to be able to um, – uh, see see growth there, but my my biggest concern is we're getting toward the end of the automobile cycle where typically we see things in late stage start to fall off in terms of the volumes and so on. Uh, uh, my uh, informal survey of the auto industry says that uh, uh, October was not a good month for much of the industry and for certain in the Atlanta area where I live. Uh, and the, uh, November is probably uh, not a lot better uh, so far, and we're moving into that time of the year when it should pick up. So um, what can take its place? Um, some other investment, uh, capital investment and so on, if, uh, uh, if companies view the future as much better, at least the stock market views the future as much better right now, the, the way things are going here. Well, that was going to be my question, what would take place of it. But, Lou? Uh, I, I, I was uh, playing around with the idea of where does oil have to be at where general manufacturing here in the U.S. will have an impact on manufacturing. Um, we've been bouncing back and forth between the 40s and 50s. Um, my opinion for my non-financial background I would think that 55 would be the new the new sweet spot. I would uh, agree with you on that, Lou. Uh, I, I think it's somewhere between 50 and 60, uh, and uh, I wouldn't argue over 55 at all uh, from doing that. Uh, you know, the oil industry is very good at uh, cutting costs, uh, taking out high uh, cost uh, production and uh, mothballing it and relying on the lower cost reduction. But they have to make enough to make it worth expanding. I was in Houston a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the word I was getting is that it, uh, they're starting to invest on the upstream. And uh, uh, that's always the beginning of, uh, of a recovery as far as the uh, uh, manufacturing sector is concerned. Uh, in fact, the uh, Houston has a survey that uh, measures manufacturing, and it went from 48.5 to 51.1 last month, which seems to be the bottom as far as the industry is concerned, that the decline has stopped and turned around a little bit. So th that would be positive. But we're not going to have a strong economy without a reasonably strong uh, oil uh, industry. Um, certainly uh, there's some uh, of the assets in coal that might be, uh, might be reopened. 
Uh, coal's gotten a, a bad name. We've got the ability to liquefy coal, uh, but every incentive was taken away from the uh, from the coal industry. So uh, we'll have to see. But it's got to come from investment. Companies have not – they've been investing in buying their own stock. And uh, that's uh, that, that. That keeps corporate profits looking good and uh, bonuses looking good, but it doesn't. Uh, uh, it doesn't really help the economy as much as good capital investment and expansion of businesses, <coughs> in both globally and, and domestically. Norbert, other than oil, um, I'm sorry, other than auto, do you see any strengths in the economy in the U.S.? Uh, yeah, I think there's, uh, uh, again, the, the auto industry has been carrying a lot of the load. Uh, that switched over to um, the uh, consumer products, uh, uh, that that had a, a good run. Uh, but the, the real strength of the economy right now is in the non-manufacturing sector. And when we look at, uh, uh, and that's a good segue into to talking about non-manufacturing, uh, because that's where the jobs come from. And uh, uh, now the downside of it is it doesn't uh, it doesn't equate to as many uh, dollars in, in terms of growth as the manufacturing sector does. Manufacturing uh, uh, creates more. Uh, for the dollar invested and, and creates other jobs and so on, but uh, non-manufacturing is is where the jobs are at 54.8. It was down from 57.1 to 54.8. I would expect it to stay around there as far as uh, November and and December are concerned. Uh, that we continue to see some job growth. Uh, again. Uh, uh, the, that sector uh, is industries uh, construction, for instance, uh, is generally non-residential construction is doing uh, uh, reasonably well. Uh, residential construction is holding up fairly well. Uh, obviously, medical is expanding. Uh, now, there's uh, certainly a lot of question marks uh, that come up around the medical uh, issue, but it's nonetheless it's. Uh, it's expanding, and uh, then it looks like we're probably going to see some form of government stimulus. Uh, so those are going to be the areas that I, I think we're going to see. Uh, uh, if, if they come to fruition, they're going to be carrying the economy for the next 18 months. Well, we appreciate uh, the update. This was a very thorough report, and uh, we always enjoy having you on the show because you can speak uh, globally to what's happening. and. Uh, individual markets and the, and the world as a whole. So, Norbert, thanks for being with us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. My pleasure. Always good to be with you. Thank you. We'll be talking to you again. Bye-bye. Bye. And that wraps us up for this segment of Manufacturing Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components. MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, 
national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Our guest is Chad Moutre, who is the Chief Economist at the National Association of Manufacturers. If you have not been to NAM.org, we encourage you to go there. Lots of great information, certainly worthwhile being a member. Chad, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, it's always fun to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me. Well, good. We're glad that it's fun to be on the show. That's a good thing. <laughs> Maybe we'll quote them. <laughs> I know you, tweet, you tweeted me out last week, last time. So um, I'll okay, we'll love to do it. Uh, Chad, you put out from NAM the Monday Morning Report, which is a terrific uh, recap, which we encourage people to get their hands on every Monday, Monday morning. Just sign up for it; it's automatically sent to you. Why don't you give our listeners uh, just a quick overview of how that report read this week? So, I mean, I think I started off um, on the Monday report uh, with the obvious, which is the, the election uh, and, and, you know, the, the upset up with victory from Trump. Um, and I think, you know, one of the more interesting things from an economic point, point of view, certainly from a financial markets point of view, is that the stock market continues to be at an all-time high. Um, you're seeing, you're seeing uh, interest rates jump, but in general, I think that you're getting a sense in, in the kind of the days after the election here to the week later – uh, of, of, of optimism that, that you know maybe we can some, solve some things. Um, certainly from an infrastructure standpoint, I think uh, a Trump administration is going to be pretty aggressive about finding some solutions for infrastructure. Um, there's certainly going to be a, a push for tax and regulatory reform, and so uh, I think financial markets uh, are in general kind of jumping on that sense of you know m you know maybe some some cautious optimism uh, some you know as you heard the president say uh, yesterday in his press conference maybe some pragmatism on the part of the Trump administration so you know you know obviously there are areas where where we disagree with Trump primarily on trade but I think in general I think the markets and, and businesses are, are uh, picking up uh, on that optimism you know we we for our part last week I think you you saw this um, Lou we put out a unity letter last week. To the president-elect, uh, signed by 1,100 uh, you know, manufacturing and business executives, uh, saying, "You know, let's work together." It was a pretty divisive campaign, but but you know, now let's come together and, and come up with some solutions. And so, uh, that's how I began the Monday report. <laughs> uh, Long-winded answer there, but but you know, I think obviously stating the obvious, and that is that you know, here we are a week after the election, and a lot has changed. Well, as you know, we did uh, also sign that letter. I, I was. Uh, a little surprised that there was only 1,100 uh, members that uh, signed on. I thought it was a, a terrific idea to do that. 
Um, so being that we're talking a little bit about politics before we get into uh, what, what we are having you here for, um, how do you feel it's going to, you know, guess a little bit about the future? How is NAM going to be able to deal uh, with the new administration and, uh, and the Congress as it is now? Uh, you've had your hands full in the past, uh, so I'm just curious at what you're forecasting for the future. Well, I think, you know, while a lot has changed uh, from, a, from a tactical standpoint, uh, I think the NAM is, not, is continuing to move forward with what we were planning to do anyway, regardless of whether it was a, a Clinton or Trump victory. I, you know, we, as you know, we had the competing to win document earlier this year. Uh, which mm -hmm. outlined 11 policy priorities. Uh, those were shared with the transition teams, both Clinton and Trump, prior to the election, and we're continuing to have a dialogue with the Trump transition team about them. Um, and in early December, we're going to be um, having uh, 10 days where we're releasing uh, white papers attached to each of those policy initiatives uh, to get help, again, put some more meat on the bones for each of them. So this has reminded us that was tax, regulatory, infrastructure, um, innovation, uh, workforce development, a whole series of issues that really are what we feel are pro-manufacturing policies. And so, uh, again, continuing to work with the transition team and, 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 again, from our standpoint, just continuing to do what we were already planning to do, which is mm -hmm. to educate policymakers of both parties about what uh, pro-manufacturing policy looks like. So, um, again, a, a lot has changed, but also, at least from a tactical standpoint, um, a lot has remained the same from our viewpoint. Well, if Manufacturing Talk Radio can be any help to you in getting that message out with the, with the white papers, we'll be sure happy to do that. Well, thanks. Thanks. So I guess going back to the Monday report, I, mean, I, I think, uh, you know, in general, we, we've seen some, you know, continued signs of stabilization, I think, in the overall manufacturing economy. We, earlier today, actually, the preview for next week's report, uh, we got strong uh, retail sales numbers. Um, so that's a sign that Consumers are going out there and, and opening up their pocketbooks. That's pretty welcome news, obviously, you know, headed into the holiday season. Um, and, and we also had a rebound in the New York Fed um, uh, confidence number this morning. So, you know, I, I, I continue to think that we're seeing some signs of stabilization and where things are moving in the right direction. Uh, in general, you know, manufacturing is not growing as fast as we would like. Um, as you know, industrial production figures uh, on a year-over-year -year basis were, were zero, right, so that we had no growth over the last 12 months in terms of manufacturing production. Um, we get a new industrial production number tomorrow, so hopefully that number turns positive. And, and again, I think we're going to start seeing some signs, um, both in confidence numbers but also in terms of some real, real figures where I think things are going to start turning around a little bit. Well, we look forward to that. That's encouraging. We all... Uh look forward to it. Now, in terms of the global picture, because Chad, you also put out a global update, and it comes out the second Thursday of every month. Is that correct? That is correct. So we just had one come out um, last week. Great. Great. Well, why don't we get into that a bit, because I think that helps uh, our listeners understand the, the picture from the outside looking in, if you will. So one of the biggest challenges that manufacturers have had over the last couple of years has been the global the global market, right? The the inability of us to grow our export markets. And so, uh, just to put kind of a, a finer point on that kind of overarching thing and the figure, 
Uh, manufactured goods exports were down 6% last year in 2015, and so far year-to-date, they've been down at least 5% this year. Um, and so, again, very rough market for us. And, uh, those, both numbers came out after the, uh, 2014 where we hit an all-time high. So we're kind of pulling back from that all-time high over the last couple of years. And really what's hit, hit manufacturing hard has been two things. Number one, a very weak economic picture uh, in many of our key markets that we sell into. And that's hurt our ability to, to sell exports there because demand has been down. Uh, but the other big factor, obviously, and, and you know we've talked about this on this on this show, uh, is been the dollar. The dollar's appreciated, you know, roughly 20, 21 percent since uh, over the last two years, since the end of June 2014, and that's been a pretty significant headwind. I'm sure when you talk to manufacturers as well, uh, that that the dollar issue comes up. And so, I guess that's the overarching picture. And that even though I painted a somewhat cautious, optimistic uh, picture in the last segment, um, that, that export environment has been a real challenging one and will continue to be a challenging one moving in 2017. Uh, with that said, we also have seen some, some, some green shoots of progress in the, in the global markets as well. Um, and, and when you look at the top 15 markets for U.S. manufactured goods, we really only had three countries that were contracting uh, in, in the month of October. Um, so that's a, that's a positive sign that uh, we're starting to see some progress in some of those countries that we've really had a lot of challenges with over the last couple of years. Uh, one of the, the bigger of those, of course, is, is Brazil, which we're going to ha- continue to have a lot of problems with, at least going into 2017. But, you know, on the, on the positive side, um, China has now expanded uh, a little bit over the last couple months in terms of overall sentiment. Um, they're going to continue to decelerate in their overall growth rate, but in general you're seeing – um, uh, some, they've stabilized their overall economic situation, and you're starting to see both in the official numbers and also in the market numbers, uh, the ISM market figures, uh, some slight positive growth there. Um, and uh, in Europe, one of the more interesting things to, to, to talk about uh, is that Europe is mostly brushing off Brexit concerns, um, uh, and that includes the UK, believe it or not. Uh, when you look at the overall sentiment numbers coming out of Europe uh, as well as the UK, uh, you're still seeing, uh, in general, uh, manufacturing expand. Now, to be fair, the survey in in the UK took place before uh, the most recent ruling in the UK uh, about Article 50, um, but in in, in general, I think, uh, you know, that continues to be something we're going to watch, you know, given that the next survey will be after that ruling. Uh, but I think the, the, the kind of interesting thing there is that they're kind of brushing off the Brexit concerns. So, is that uh, possible? Uh, is that possible because it looks like it's going to take years for this thing to really come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, as, as you know, um, obviously the, the ruling is going to be appealed, um, uh, but really all that the ruling does is, is change, uh, you know, getting Parliament's permission, right? <laughs> uh, but keep in mind, Theresa May in a parliamentary system has the majority, so. It, it will obviously add some complexities, uh, so I think it will still move forward as planned. But as you know, a divorce in, of this nature is going to take a couple years. Uh, the U.K. is going to continue to be part of the Eurozone uh, until 2019. Um, and so, yes, the answer to your question is yes. I think people mm-hmm. realize that at least until then, uh, they're still part of the U.K. Um, the U.K. is still part of the, the Euro- European Union. Uh, a lot of uncertainty is going to take place between now and then, a lot of posturing um, on, on the part of the Europeans and the U.K. in terms of what um, they think was going to help their negotiating position. Um, but at least until then, I think uh, 
uh, you're starting to see some some signs that you know maybe, maybe this is, is not as bad as as, as it as it first was was kind of advertised to be. Mm-hmm. So from our perspective, I think we've talked about on this on this on this program as well. The, the UK is our fifth largest trading partner. Germany is our sixth largest trading partner. Uh, we want a strong Europe in general, uh, and so we're going to continue to make sure we have access to those markets uh, and that they're growing. And so we, we want we want that region growing as much as we can. Sure. Okay. What uh, what reports are coming out in the uh, next couple of days that we should be uh, aware of? So I, I noted that earlier today we, we had retail sales uh, in the New York Fed numbers, and so you know both of those were were positive. Um, tomorrow, the big number from the manufacturing point of view is going to be the industrial production figures, which I kind of previewed a second ago. And I'm, I'm hoping that we continue to see some some you know, modest expansion there, and and uh, more or less echoing some of the other figures where we're starting to see some stabilization. Again, not growing as fast as we like, but. Uh, you know, even my own surveys, um, when I kind of look out, um, show a, a bit of a pickup in manufacturing production over the next six months. So hopefully that bears out in tomorrow's report. Um, on Thursday, the, November 17th, we, we have housing starts. So, um, you know, housing has been one of those issues where uh, we had a lot of optimism in housing coming into the year. Uh, it, it hasn't totally borne fruit, I think partly because of the economic anxieties that have been out there. And we just keep, you know, Flirting with 1.2 million housing starts, uh, and hopefully we can get 1.2 million and kind of hold it uh, by the end of the year. Uh, you know, one thing that's going to push back against housing starts moving forward, and I, I more or less alluded to this earlier, is that since the election last week, uh, interest rates have gone up a lot. Uh, and so, uh, if you haven't uh, refinanced your mortgage, you might be a little late. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, mortgage rates were kind of going around. Uh, you know, 30-year fixed-rate mortgage was going for about three and a half uh, a, a few weeks ago, and now it's already over four uh, percent. So, uh, that could put a little bit of a damper on on housing starts activity. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, although you know, to be fair, four percent is still historically a low figure. So, um, just that I think that's something to watch. I think over the next couple months is to see what the impact of interest rates will be on housing. But in general, that has been a bright spot. What do you think automotive is going to be doing? I didn't hear your question. What was it? Uh, What do you think automotive is going to be doing uh, here in the next year or so? I think the auto sector is going to continue to be a bright spot. We're going to continue to see 17, you know, we had Uh, 17.2 million housing starts last year. I would expect something comparable to that this year and uh, next year as well. Maybe slowing to 17 next year, I think, is, is what I have. Uh, but those are still all really strong numbers. Um, if we do get the economy picking up a little bit next year, I think that will be a bright spot for for the auto sector. I think what's held back the autos this year has been, much like housing, that was economic anxiety. Uh, but in general, I think a stronger economy bodes well for the auto sector. You still have, I think, the average age of a vehicle on the road is still over 11 years old. So that should be those should be you know good harbingers for. Uh, and, you know, bright spots for, for, for the auto sector, I think, moving in the next year. One of the things, uh, Chad, that uh, Tim and I look at in regards to uh, all metals and forge group, uh, we look at the machine tool order number. And uh, the last two months, I think this month there was a 56% increase, and the month before is a 
52.52% increase, uh, which to us is an indicator as to what's coming in the next three to six months in manufacturing. So it's a it's a serious uh, leading indicator for us. I, I don't know if uh, if Nan looks at that number or not, but it's a it's a good forecaster. Uh, I don't look at it specifically, but but um, if that's true, that's good news, uh, and I think it yes. would, it would uh, uh, it, it's consistent with what I'm seeing in general with my other data that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Chad, just to kind of wrap things up, uh, curious if the infrastructure projects that the Trump administration is talking about putting in play uh, come to fruition, what sectors of manufacturing are going to most benefit from it? Well, obviously, the construction sector you know, will benefit a lot, um, but also you have, you know, machinery and um, perhaps the metal sector. To be, you know, because keep in mind, infrastructure includes not just roads and bridges, but it can also include pipelines and and uh, waterworks projects, et cetera. Um, so I think you know you're going to see some some strength in the metal sector. Uh, we, we have a pretty all-inclusive definition of broadband uh, uh, infrastructure to include broadband even, so you might even see some technologic technology benefits to that. Um, and uh, you know, given that that I mentioned pipelines, obviously the energy sector should should benefit as well. Well, that sounds strong. And in terms of GDP, uh, looking forward, I think uh, the year is going to finish up uh, close to two. What does 2017 look like? Well, right now, you know, I, I have 2% growth in my models for 2017. I think there's some a lot of potential for upward movement in that figure, uh, given uh, the possibility of infrastructure and tax reform next year. Well, that would certainly be beneficial. We've been speaking with Chad Lutre, the Chief Economist of the National Association of Manufacturers. Chad, thanks for being with us again today. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. And that wraps us up for Manufacturing Talk Radio. Tune in next week. We'll have another exciting show for you. Go to our website, mfgtalkradio.com. If you want to download any of our uh, previous shows, they're all stored there as uh, podcasts, MP3 files. You can listen to them at your convenience. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We'll be back with you again next week. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.